This is Nebraska State poet Matt Mason, and you are listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. Welcome in to another edition of Skull Rock Podcast, the weekly show about all things Disney and pop culture. We take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming, what's in theaters, and what in the universe is going on in the world of entertainment. I say what in the universe. I'm, I'm thinking it's a multiverse now, Dave. It uh, is. <laughs> it is. It's, it's a small multiverse after all. I'm Al John Go. I'm a musician, longtime Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and pop culturist. And you can email me, Aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard. I'm in the multiverse of madness as an artist, a filmmaker, and author. And welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Yeah. Al John, how are you? Oh, wonderful. I'm fighting. I'm fighting the good fight against my allergies. That's what I'm uh, doing. It's that time of year. <laughs> that time of year. It is. My eyes are all swollen, but hey, you know, who cares? <laughs> yeah, our, our listeners aren't going to look at you. No. Yeah, they can't see you. No, It's no. okay. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm, anyway. I'm looking away. I'm looking away. Avert your eyes. Avert your eyes. I'm averting um, my eyes. Yeah. So we uh, once again, thank you so much for tuning into the show. We have an awesome guest lined up, don't we, Dave? We do. We have uh, animator, storyboard artist, cleanup artist, Mark Pudliner uh, is joining us today. He's going to be talking about uh, uh, his time at Bluth. Uh, he's a Canadian animator. Uh, he's going to talk a little bit about Vera Lanther, who passed away uh, last year, mm-hmm. and uh, his time at Disney. Uh, he worked on a, a ton of films at Disney. Uh, so we're looking forward to chatting and catching up with him. Absolutely. I- I love it when we can dive in deep um, with other experiences, you know, because everybody's so connected in animation, you know, everybody's worked at Disney or they worked over at Bluth or whatever. And I love the Bluth stories because I, I, I just want to know more. I, I haven't read a whole lot about what's going on with that other than the cursory stuff uh, for, for our guests, you know, that happened yeah. to work with you over at Bluth when you were doing some, some contracted stuff. So yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Hey, I do want to let our listeners know that the Claude Coates book has uh, won. Uh, well, let me let me put it this way: it's made the short list for the Eric Hoffa Book Awards Grand Prize, and then I just got the notification that we are the runner-up for the grand prize. What? Which, which is pretty darn impressive, I think. I'm, oh. I'm really thrilled by that, and I just want to remind our listeners. The Claude Coates book is back in stock. There you go. And and we're going to be setting up a, well, congratulations first and foremost, Dave. Because first it. of all, um, you and Alan have to be super happy about, about how we the are. book turned out. I mean, it's an amazing coffee table book. And that's what I love is that, you know, Dave, um, you and Alan put so much into it, of course, you know, tributing to his father and all the different work, shining a light on it. But more importantly than that, 
it's truly a labor of love because the books that you that that are being released, especially this one and, and others, um, have so much care and attention to detail in terms of the paper stock, the the outer cover, and all the different things that you put in the book. So for for us Disney fans, as we open the book, it's opening up every gift. It's like a, a gift that keeps giving because you just get that warm and fuzzy feeling of the care and attention to detail in the book. Uh, yeah. I, I Listen, you know something? I, I I feel like, you know, you're exactly right. Every book project I do is a labor of love and, uh, and I want it to be the best it possibly can be and we're not cutting any corners on anything and uh, we really want to deliver. Uh, so we're thrilled by that. Um, and again, the Claude Coates book is back in stock. People can get a, a copy signed by Claude's son, Alan Coates, and myself. And they can get that at theoldmillpress.com. Absolutely. We'll have a link in the show notes. And uh, I will say this, you know, there's so many great books that are experienced or I can experience listening on audible, you know, also a podcast partner of ours, of course, but you know, ching, but um, there are some great tactile experiences left. And this is what makes buying albums important for me as well as books, because you have the tactile experience holding it in your hand and discovering those type of things. And I love liner notes and new things and albums. And I do the same for your books, Dave. It's, it's just really cool. It's an experience. So yeah. if you're going to get any book, get those. But uh, as we Thank move on, to, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and congratulations on all the accolades. Well-deserved. Um, so before we get into our guest and our news of the week, we do have something by the name of, uh, what is that? Email? Skull Rock Podcast. Answers your email. I love it when the inbox is, has got uh, email and, and is full of uh, interesting stuff, Dave. Yeah, have, and, yeah. and this one jumped out. The, this is a, a nice note from a listener down in uh, Orlando, Scott, uh, who wrote in suggesting that we do a show on Ron Miller. And I thought, wow, that is a terrific suggestion. Uh, we're going to track down somebody uh, who knew Ron reasonably well, uh, who can speak to and help celebrate Ron Miller. So that's going to be an upcoming show. I love it. You know, um, there. I don't think there's been a lot written about Ron. Am I, am I wrong in that assessment? Or No, I, I, I think that's about right. But, you know, again... It's that period of the company history from the time that Walt passed away in December of 66 through the time when Michael Eisner, Frank Wells, Jeffrey Katzenberg, and all those guys came in as the new management that, that Roy Disney brought in to, to turn the Walt Disney Company around. There's that 20-year period where there really hasn't been a lot written about it, but there was a lot of stuff going on. Uh, and Ron Miller certainly did uh, a fair share of good things mm -hmm. uh, for the company during that period. So uh, I think that's going to be an interesting show to get a little bit more insight into his contributions to the company. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I actually have a couple comments over the Facebook if you'd like for me to read. Some. Yeah, let's hear them. Uh, yeah. So Heidi Gonzalez says, Dave has mentioned a couple times about how Disney does such an amazing charity work with their contributions to Make-A-Wish Foundation. I think it would be fun if you had some Make-A-Wish families who were granted Disney wishes on your podcast so they could hear the experience and what it's really like. I will volunteer my son and me. 
I'm sure there are other families who would love to share their experiences. My son's wish was truly life-changing, and now he's a Disney cast member. Oh, you know something? I think that's fantastic. I know Heidi. I, I'll reach out to her and see if she'd like to come on and talk a little bit about that. I think that's wonderful. I, I think that would be fantastic. It, it, that's I a think, great suggestion. Yeah, I think Make-A-Wish is just uh, an amazing charity. And uh, we've granted wishes at my company, which uh, I'll never forget. And I'm mm-hmm. very, I'm very happy that they're continuing on uh, granting wishes over at the Disney company. So really excited about that. Uh, we also had a really cool comment. Uh, Don Morin said, great history on your Disney's World War II propaganda episode. Nice work, guys. So yeah, yeah that's nice to hear some. That uh, makes us feel good when we hear uh, feedback from our listeners like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you have any comments or questions, like I said, you can always reach out to us on social. Facebook is probably the best way to do that. But you can also send us those emails once again, Dave or Al John at skullrockpodcast.com. And now we go into what we're streaming this week. Dave, once again, you just opened up uh, all your streaming devices and laid them all out for us and, <laughs> and are watching everything under the sun. So what are we watching this week? Well, well, I actually went to the movies a couple of times over the last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw the unbearable weight of massive talent with Nicolas Cage. Oh. And I got to tell you, I, I, I can't recommend this movie more highly. Awesome. Uh, it, it was just a fun fun movie to see uh nicholas cage i gotta give him a lot of credit for taking on a project like this because he is sort of you know poking a little fun at himself and it's fantastic mm-hmm. it's absolutely incredibly well done and by the way there's nicholas cage and then there is nick cage which is this younger Nicolas Cage character that sort of is, you know, conscience, if you will, or <laughs> alter ego that pops in uh, and he has a conversation with himself a couple of times through the movie. Nice. And, it, and it's fantastic. It's so well done. It really is amazing. Nice. Uh, so I, I, I would say, and, and I think on Rotten Tomatoes, it's like at a, it's got a hundred percent, a hundred percent rating. You know, you know uh, I feel I feel like he has done so much work in his career that it gets to the point where you know, like Michael Keaton, for example, when he did Birdman. Yeah. Did you ever see Birdman? Yeah, absolutely. You know, where where they can kind of poke fun at themselves for the work that they've done over their career. Yeah. You know, yeah. And uh, I think he's just one of those characters and just a, an amazing character actor. It opinion. really was. It's a fantastic movie. I, awesome. I hope people get a chance to go out and see it. I'll check it I out. also went to see The North Man, mm-hmm. uh, which, uh, yeah, it was an OK movie. Uh, you know, it, it's one of those period pieces. Nicole Kidman's in it. And uh, it's uh, it, it was OK. I didn't okay. think it was great. You know, that that's all I'll say about it. Uh, There was some beautiful cinematography, though. I have to I have to say that Um, I'm continuing to watch Tokyo Vice uh, and uh, Outer Range on Prime. Uh, Tokyo Vice is on HBO Max. And of course, uh, Moon Knight on Disney Plus. Yes, I like it. I like it. Okay. What have you been watching? Well, I think I'm with you on that Moon Knight Disney Plus. We saw the penultimate episode. Right. Um, yeah. This week and it's ramping up. Things are starting to kind of come together. And I like how, you know, like you're like you we talked about last week, your daughter came into this 
movie or into this series, not knowing a whole lot about the Marvel MCU. And then all of a sudden she gets into it because it stands alone, right? You don't need to have all the other, you know, 10, 11 years worth of Marvel movies to say, right. okay, I'm, I can get invested with this without feeling I have the whole weight of watching 11 years worth of films to understand. Right. Exactly. No, I, I, I think this is worth uh, anybody's time uh, to watch. Uh, and, and, you know, especially for those folks that aren't particularly into the superhero uh, films, uh, this, this particular one, it almost has a um, Indiana Jones vibe to it. I like in, it in some respects. I know? like it. And, and yeah. I like it a lot. I, I do too. And of course I'm still continuing on watching um, Star Trek Picard and looking forward to next week's strange new world, which is the prequel to, the original Star Trek, which I'm a huge fan of and looking awesome. forward to that. So um, I have actually been watching a lot of stuff with the kiddos lately. Um, I didn't put this in my show notes, but I actually saw the uh, Disney nature polar bear. Um, oh, how was that? For Earth Day. It's always good. I mean, yeah. um, Disney nature documentaries are so well produced and the narratives they have throughout. This is, of course, you know, Academy Award winning nominee, Catherine Keener. Uh, who did uh, being John Malkovich's narration uh, throughout uh -huh. this series. And it's just great. I mean, and it's also produced by Alistair Fothergill as well, who I've interviewed many times and he's just an incredible documentarian. And so uh, Disney nature, 100% polar bear, go check it out. It's pretty great. Awesome. And, and then uh, I finally saw the rest of Doug days with the kiddos. Um, Doug days, of course, <laughs> from up and, and it was the last, I think it was the last work that Ed Asner did before he passed. And uh, it was a very, a very, um, you know, touching to see him in that because I saw up again with the kids and I, the kids fell in love with up, you know, and mm -hmm. it's great to see them look at the, the movie with fresh eyes and me kind of re-experiencing it through their lens. And, uh, it was, it was great. It's great. So yeah, rewatch of up. And then I also saw another thing with the kids, which is rumble, which was released, uh, last year it's on paramount plus. And it is an animated feature uh, written by Matt Lieberman and Rob Harrell based on the, the novel Monster on the Hill, which is a in a world where monster wrestling is a global sport. And monsters are the superstar <laughs> athletes. Teenage Winnie seeks to follow in her father's footsteps by coaching a lovable underdog into a monster champion. And... Um, and it is. It's. Uh, I believe it's produced by the WWE, but uh, it has Will Arnett and Stephen Smith. Uh, you know Geraldine Weiss, uh, Vissen with Within. I can't say her name properly. I'm sorry, but all great voice voice actors, and it's fun. You know what else can I say? It's. It's. Uh, if you are familiar with the underdog story of the coach and the and the fallen out athlete, kind of you know, the Rocky storyline, the Karate Kid style storyline, it's adapted with monsters and it's fun. You know, so the kids loved it and, and I, I loved it too. It's very entertaining. So definitely awesome. gets a thumbs up from me. So that's all, all I've been streaming this week. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping this week will be the week we'll go out and see uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness uh, at the drive-in because uh, it's time. Is it's, that opening this weekend? Uh, it is opening. Or next week. I, I believe it's, it's opening. opening next week. 
Yeah, um, so that's uh, what May fifth, May fifth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so May fifth. I'm hoping okay. I'm hoping we can break away and get going on that because uh, I am super stoked about this new hey, uh, new film. It's being directed by Sam Raimi. She's my favorite man. Sam Raimi's yeah, great. Terrific since Evil Dead. But uh, I tell you what, we've got some awesome news about <laughs> you, Cinemacon. You say right? Evil Dead, I say the first three Spider-Man movies. Well, that too. <laughs> well, that too. Yeah, let's let, let's lead into it, shall we? Skull Rock Podcast ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. I apologize to our listeners for my sniffles. The allergies are still getting to me. <laughs> but uh, this week was CinemaCon, Dave. It's kind of like the uh, the upfronts for all the movies, right? And it's the uh, Woodstock of entertainment. The Woodstock of entertainment. Have you ever been to a CinemaCon, Dave? No, I've never gone. Oh, all right. Well, uh, they just happened, speaking of Doctor Strange, to have a viewing at this year's CinemaCon that took place this past week. Uh, 20 minutes of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And uh, I think people are going crazy about it. And and rightfully so. I mean, uh, it looks is- great. It looks great. I mean, I I'm absolutely going to see it uh, in IMAX. And I have to tell you, the 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 multiplex near me mm-hmm. is basically taking over all the screens, including the IMAX screen, to do Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness uh, opening weekend. If you go, if you go to this multiplex in Santa Clarita, California, there's nothing else playing but Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I, I I believe it. I believe it. So, um, I am looking forward to this and the other Marvel films, of course, Love and Thunder, Thor, Love and Thunder, and all this. So, uh, super excited about it. Of course, um, Kevin Feige actually during this week at CinemaCon. Uh, revealed that they are working on the next 10 years of Marvel Cinematic Universe films. Holy macro. So not only are they doing more teases for Black Panther, Black Panther, uh, Wakanda Forever, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, The Marvels, and Blade, but of course they're going to continue to tease uh, season two of Loki with Tom Hiddleston, which is uh, entering production, I believe, this next week. And uh, Iron Wars, which will have uh, Don Cheadle reprising his role as War Machine in his own Disney Plus show. And, of course, the sequels to uh, some of these other series. Uh, Miss Marvel, of course, coming out in Disney Plus. She-Hulk and Echo, which is the uh, another sequel from the whole Hawkeye slash Daredevil kind of side of the, the MCU. Um, so there is a lot uh, being discussed. In fact, I believe to piggyback on, on CinemaCon. Kevin Feige also said that for the first time in like two, three years, they're having their Marvel uh, retreat. I know that they they typically have these story sessions that, in a retreat where they plan out a lot of their projects. I know that uh, I don't know if Disney does something like this. I, they probably do a lot of ahead of creative stories, like they quarterly meetings, if not more to discuss their up and coming projects. But I know that uh, Lucasfilm typically does this and, and so does Marvel. So 
that's quite a bit of stuff <laughs> that they're, they're talking know, about. It, it, it's amazing. And I, I, I'm so glad that they're laying out, you know, that far in advance. Uh, you know, once again, all of these things are going to connect uh, into some spectacular, you know, finale. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in that uh, presentation, Kevin also talked about, um, you know, had a sizzle reel uh, of the upcoming projects that I've just mentioned as well. Um, which also had some kind of a teaser for Black Panther 2, which featured Shuri and Okoye in a major battle. So that looked really cool as well. So uh, looking forward to seeing more of that. Awesome. Yeah. And now, Dave, in the ever ongoing saga of Disney versus DeSantos, (laughs) we have uh, the district telling, or the special Disney district telling investors that the state can't dissolve it without paying debt. And Dave, um, that's quite an amount of bonds they have to pay out. Um, yeah. I, I mean, look, the, this, this was, you know, again, the, the weaponization of politics, it was a knee jerk thing that happened so quickly in the Florida legislature that they, they didn't really drill into this. Uh, and, you know, to Disney's credit, uh, when Walt and his brother Roy O set up this uh, Reedy Creek uh, improvement district uh, to govern all the property that they, they purchased down in Orlando, um, you know, there, there's, uh, there, there's covenants in there that, uh, basically say that, you know, they can't, uh, do this, you know, the Florida legislature just can't, uh, dissolve it willy nilly. Uh, and that's, you know, the, this is all going to play out. Um, you know, the, the, uh, article that I saw in the Bradington Herald, uh, says, quote, Disney, however, noticed and the Reedy Creek Improvement District quietly sent a note to its investors to show that it was confident the legislators attempt to dissolve the special taxing district operating the 39 square mile parcel it owned in two counties violated the pledge the state made when it enacted the district in 1967 and therefore was not legal. Mm -hmm. The result Reedy Creek told its investors is that it would continue to go about business as usual. Mm -hmm. And that's really what's going on here. Um, I think that this is something that's just going to play out um, uh, over time, but I don't think you're going to see the Reedy Creek uh, improvement district going away anytime soon. I don't think so. Maybe it was just the simple theater perhaps, but uh, regardless, it's causing a lot of people to to raise their eyebrows and take note. Mm -hmm. Uh, Theoretically, it says in this article too, uh, Orange and Osceola counties may inherit upward of to $1 billion in bond debt. That's huge. And and by the way, that translates into more than $2,200 per household in increased property tax. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think the uh, residents of those counties are going to look on that too kindly. Uh, I think not. (laughs) I think not. But uh, uh, I I will, I will, will continue to move on, um, you know, with the Disney related news. Um, Did you happen to catch any of the information regarding some of the other Disney um, 
CinemaCon news. I meant well, to the Avatar two uh, yep. footage um, uh, apparently was very amazing. Yep, yep. It looks like it. It looks like it's uh, going to be making its way into uh, theaters. Um, oh, what was it? Um, at the end of next year? Was it next year? I think it's 2023, isn't it's it? It's 2023, I mean, I Honestly, this is James Cameron. Yeah. I, I mean, you can expect nothing short of fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so. and, and of course, Bob Burgers, uh, Bob's Burgers is doing Bob's Burgers the movie as well. I'm right? looking forward to seeing another, that. Another, it's a great trailer. trailer. So that's, I know yeah. that's right up your alley. It's a, it's a great show, you know, and I, I, I love Bob's Burgers. We watch it in, uh, in our household on a regular basis. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's that humor, right? It's that, it that really is. You know, it's, it's in the vein of the Simpsons. I love it. It's great. Oh, yeah. wait, by the way, I watched the Billie Eilish uh, short uh, with the oh, kids this week. I did week. too. And I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, it was fun, right? Yeah, it was I mean, great. Yeah, the spiders coming out of the mouth still freaked me out a little bit, but, <laughs> um, but it was still a lot of fun. Uh, and the music was amazing, too. Uh, yeah. Speaking of amazing, how about the amazing Spider-Man? It looks like uh, Spider-Man No Way Home has made over $600 million in profit. But how does it compare to the other Spider-Man films? Uh, it's huge, Dave, and um, it exceeded all expectations, according to this article. And I would say that... Uh, we want and people want more Spider-Man. 2014's Amazing Spider-Man 2 had a reported budget of $255 million and generated a $70.38 million profit, making $708 million at the box office. And then the predecessor, The Amazing Spider-Man, made $757 million worldwide after it cost $230 million to produce. And then we go into the Feige MCU Spider-Man, uh, which made two hundred million after uh, profit. After or I'm sorry, had made eight hundred eighty million worldwide, and the other uh, the sequel to that making um, three hundred thirty nine million in profit for for Sony and Marvel. So um, I think they're making a lot of money. They are raking in bags of cash. Yeah, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what's coming up next, and maybe, uh, just maybe, uh, they'll be able to do more stuff with Tom Holland. That's my hope. Um, I, and then you send me this note here about Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible. Get It's a title reveal. I, you follow Tom Cruise and, and oh, the Mission Impossible uh, You know something? I can't wait to see this. Uh, but the title is Mission Impossible 7. Dead Reckoning Part One. Part One. Oh my goodness! <laughs> you know, I can't. I can't wait to see this. Uh, you know, Tom Cruise always delivers for the movie-going audience, uh, and you know, they they also, by the way, screened Top Gun Maverick mm-hmm. at CinemaCon. and uh, it's getting nothing but rave reviews. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, I'm looking for again. You know, the, I got to tell you, the 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 byproduct of the pandemic is 2022 is a year of incredible movie going. Got to be. There's so many big movies coming out. Things that were held over from the last year or two are coming out this year, and it's going to breathe new life into the movie theaters. And that's great. 
people are are ready. They're ready to spend their hard-earned money on experiences. And nothing says a blockbuster movie like Tom Cruise. And in this case, I'm looking forward to it even more because one of my favorite actresses, Haley Atwell, is in there as well. And she's amazing. So uh, looking forward yeah. to that. And I think Mission Impossible is going to be hitting theaters, what, uh, July 14th of, of next year? Right? Yeah, I think it's next. It is 2023. 2023. This this, this year, it's all gonna. It, it, Tom Cruise and uh, Top Gun. Top Gun. Maverick. Mm-hmm. That's what this this year is all about. Mm-hmm. You know, next year it'll be Mission Impossible Seven, and then the following year is going to be Mission Impossible Eight, which will probably be Dead Reckoning Part Two. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> might as well. I mean, it worked for Marvel, you know, and Harry Potter. You might as well have a part one go. and a part two, right? Leave us on a cliffhanger. Um, also, Warner Brothers decided to go ahead and do some reveals as well. It's in Macon, debuting Black Adam with The Rock in the DC universe of films. Also, Wonka, The Flash, and Elvis. There's more footage about uh, Elvis, which is really cool. So uh, did you happen to check any of these kind of projects out? Because, uh, of course, we talked about the Elvis trailer and they showed more of that uh, during this. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, the Elvis trailer looks pretty fantastic. It's uh, Baz Luhrmann. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Should be should be a good film. Yeah. And I'm also looking forward to seeing The Flash and and, uh, more Batman uh, with Michael Keaton, you know, which is going to be great when they have that Flashpoint movie come out. And black adam with the rock and the uh, how rock. that works and i think they even teased um, the new shazam movie as well so that was uh that's pretty cool so overall there's a lot of stuff going on and last bit i'm gonna say about this uh you know you know that i've been following the amber heard johnny depp trial as it were yes <laughs> and i just had to put this in there because there's a fan petition asking warner brothers to remove amber heard from aquaman and the lost kingdom and it the, that petition has reached over two million people really? signing it yes. wow wow yeah the, she she is not getting any love from the fans uh no um and i've been following the trial and i have to say that uh you don't want to watch a car wreck, you know, when it involves these, these people, you want to let the course of justice take its course and have everything come out in the court and the courts will decide the jury will decide, but um, it's, it's kind of farcical, you know, and it's also sad because I feel like a lot of this cooler heads would have prevailed, but um, he, Johnny Depp is, is taking, time to really try to come out on the other side of this defamation uh, lawsuit. So we'll just have to see what happens, but yeah, fans are fans are not happy about what's going on right now. So crazy. crazy it could very stuff. well affect the, the project, uh, you know, and things like this yeah. have happened before. So we'll keep more tabs on this as they develop in the meantime, Dave, I think it's time to welcome our guest. Let's get him. Skull rock podcast interview time. Well, Al John, as promised, we've got another fantastic guest this week. We've got animator, cleanup artist, storyboard artist, Mark Pudliner. And uh, it's been years since I've actually seen him in person. And uh, he's he's coming to us from Vancouver, Canada. That's right. We've crossed the northern border. Uh, and uh, I want to welcome uh, welcome Mark Pudliner. 
Mark, it, it's been many, many years since we've seen each other. Yeah, I know. I'm, uh, hey, David, and, and thanks so much for reaching out and uh, totally appreciate it. And and uh, I know I was thinking, well, it must have been in the hallways at Disney sometime in the early 2000s, I guess, or, or mid 2000s or whenever that was. But uh, yeah, it's been a while. That's for sure. It really and, has been. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I, I was looking forward to having you on the show because you really do have a very diverse um, animation career. And not only that, uh, you're part of what I always lovingly referred to as the Canadian contingent, because I don't think our listeners realize there's a lot of Canadian animators in the industry. And a lot of them uh, uh, came down to Los Angeles to work in the business. Uh, you yourself did. Uh, and, and many have gone back up uh, to Toronto or Vancouver. But, uh, but it's, it's a huge animation uh, community in Canada. So I'm thrilled to have you on to talk about uh, your career. And I always want to start with, how did you get into the business? Where did you go to school? So tell tell our listeners about yourself. Okay, um, yeah, there there definitely is a, a large you know animation population that, that's Canadian, and in Canada we sort of get brought up in the schools. You know, of course, this is a long time ago before internet, but we always show the National Film Board um, animated shorts. So it really became part of our culture, and I think and that's how a lot of countries you know sort of recognize or uh, got to know Canada is through this animation. So. The arts and animation has always been um, very much a part of our society, I would say, sort of sneaks in um, and is always there on Saturday mornings, et cetera. But um, so, you know, the love of animation for me, I think as for most, most, you know, were is um, was that Saturday morning or it was as I was a kid, it was some, you know, Walt Disney was Sunday night. We had watched that around the family. I think that was late 60s or 70s. And uh of course, he always had animated um, shows on that. And it was just, there was something about the Disney animation for me that was just richer than, of course, the Saturday morning stuff. I didn't quite put a, you know, could could sort of describe what it was, except it just was nicer looking. And um, and again, so that, the the feeling that, it, the connection, I think, of, of being a kid, drawing cartoons all the time, and then seeing this on TV, um, it sort of lured me in and you know and then again getting older I started getting Mad Magazine and comic books and that was sort of my <laughs> my sort of uh, um, the humor sort of did come through as far as sensibilities of you know looking at these amazing artists through Mad Magazine and the style of drawing and the graphic um, shapes and how they were telling stories with poses and the use of negative spaces and inking and all that stuff and that that totally it really is my first true love is comic art. So when I when I got older and you know tried to uh, well, I, I, you know, I was in high school. I was trying to do my own comic strips for the newspapers, <laughs> and uh, I got a lot of rejection letters. But uh, um, anyways, I did get in a local newspaper just before I started college, and I had to stop because I got busy in college. And they didn't have a comic art course. They stopped it. It was a uh, back in. Ontario, Canada, and that was back in the early 80s. And but they did have an animation course. So what school was it? That was Sheridan College. It was Sheridan. So yeah. so back then, really, Sheridan was uh, had a big animation program. Uh, they I did. Mean, that's, was, that's really where a lot of people got trained up in Canada. Oh, very much. And you see the old, you know, the older group that's about a few years ahead of, you know, my group is uh, 
you know, say Ken Duncan and, and uh, um, John Morrell and Dick and Ralph Zondag. And um, there's there's a bunch of Nick Ranieri and, you know, there's a bunch of uh, you know, animators that was in sort of our, our group early 80s, but there was a group ahead of us, um, Duncan Marjorbanks, uh, Henry Bardwell, Ralph Palmer, et cetera. That, um, and so, yeah, it was, it was, animation was, was it was a, a pretty, you know, it was a pretty focused art back then in that, in that college, it had some recognition. And um, so it was really, you know, for me, when I joined it, it was, uh, it wasn't like I was going to have to animate, but I, I could draw cartoons. And it was when I sat there, you know, in the first week, and I started to see these drawings come to life. And, you know, as a comic artist, it's in my head, I'm, I'm thinking of the characters and their the stories are there. And I was creating them talking, I was creating them moving and their personalities as I drew my comic art and tried to do these comic strips. And and then in animation, it's like, oh, wait, they actually are moving. I can actually do bring them to life. So yeah. that's, that's when I got hooked. And I got to say, in, in college, it was, a, it was a pretty amazing time because in high school in the in Canada, I lived out in the farmlands just east of uh, Markham, Ontario. And um, I'm the only person doing art, really, in my friend group. And, and suddenly college, I was with everyone around me. And we all came from different parts of the country. But um, we all were connected with this art yeah and so you find pretty quick that it's sort of this cool bond with people that don't look like you <laughs> and yeah. wear different clothes and have different hair colors or you know um, etc and it, and it really didn't matter it was it was such a different level going from high school to college and because because you were all you were all speaking the same language at that point it was all about the art right yeah um, yeah and and during that time i mean sheridan was you know has a stellar reputation uh, as an animation program in school uh but you only had you had sheridan up there in toronto and you had uh cal arts out in los angeles and uh and then i would probably say school of visual arts in new york city you know yeah, there wasn't there wasn't, a, uh, there wasn't a lot back then, you know, yeah. that, you know, when you go back 30 or or 40 years ago, you know, there wasn't uh, uh, a lot going on. Right. So, uh, Mark, uh, I you know, again, I, I, I would say it was really, you know, those three schools, uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago yeah, and that, that had the animation programs. Well, very much. And it's interesting because I think back, <laughs> back when I was in second years. 82 or 83, I think it was 83, um, there was no jobs. Like, uh, I remember sitting there thinking, why? It sort of hit me one day, like, why are we here? Because there's literally, there's no jobs. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, well, and also what was interesting with the, the there was a Cold War was going on. There's a lot of, a lot of, new, it was in the news, like everyone's going to get bombed. And so I was saying, well, at least I'm doing something that I love to do. That was my one thought as I sat there with my cassette tapes borrowed from the library at the school and, and was drawing my assignments, but, um, you know, so um, there was no jobs. And then, you know, near the end of year two, which was 83, the summer, um, I think, um, there, be, there was an opportunity for a test to be done for a local company in Albana that was doing a, a, a new series called, or a show called Strawberry Shortcakes Meets the Berrykins. And so we all rushed out and, were recommended to do this test, which we did. And I, I, we were given 40 hours, like do it, doing, like, I think it was 40 hours or whatever it was, or 30 hours. And, and, <laughs> and it was Charlie Bonifacio, who's this amazing animator. Um, 
Canadian animator. You probably know him, Dave. And, I do. Uh, I, you know, yeah. I, I work with Charlie uh, uh, over in London. Yeah. And, and he is just like everyone loves Charlie. And he's just amazing talent. And his son actually now works for Pixar. And um, anyways, he was a director on this thing. We did a test. I remember I, my t- <laughs> test I was doing down in my parents, like the basement area. And, and uh, I set my timer for 30 hours right to the dot. Right when that alarm went off, I stopped. And <laughs> and everyone that um, they kept going and they handed in their tests and I didn't get hired as an animator to hire it as a, as a, an in-betweener or whatever the position was I had to do in between clouds. And, and, and <laughs> I found out later that everyone's going past 40 hours. He just made it look as good as possible, but uh, I, I felt <laughs> a little foolish like going, well, they said 30 hours. <laughs> and it's like, uh, you know, anyway, so, you know, I'll take that one. And, and, uh, and then after, you know, we we ended up getting hired, and and that was funny because from no jobs, suddenly about about fifteen of us got hired, and then the doors opened, and they just there was money. People started to invest in animation, and after um, after that show, then the Care Bear movies, and I got promoted to be an animator. And and next thing I know, there were so many people from the college that got hired. Like Nalvana suddenly got really busy, and I think that's what. It just that was 1984 and they um, were one they were one of the big animation studios in canada yeah yeah and and uh and how it was great for a young artist and you know that's the thing that i i, I teach now at vancouver, vancouver film school they have me as the senior instructor they we came i came in and, and re sort of focused the course and and, and with the help of calling um giles and gillies and 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 uh um and, you know, I, I, I'm always so happy to when I see this group come in of these young artists that because it's such a great industry and they get to bond together and yeah. go through this. And, that, and so I, I try to I try to make it a good year because um, of sort of how my memories were, uh, you know, was from back in college. I still to this day is still like this. And I think when you, you talk with the old timers and, you know, from Cal Arts and, you know, they all feel the same they have that bond yeah. and you know and, such and, a great community for that and, and and nowadays there's so many opportunities in the industry that's that's the amazing thing to me you know yeah. there there's so many uh so many animation jobs today compared to 40 years ago <laughs> yeah, uh, like, i mean like it's really it, it's really unbelievable in fact they're they're struggling to find uh talent uh on on some of the shows you know and so tell us how how did you get from Nelvana down to Los Angeles? Because you came down and started working at Don Bluth Studios, right? I did. I did. And, and it was a uh, my a uh, couple of my college buddies, Ralph Sondag and and uh, and John Hooper, and, and they, you know, it was talked that oh, Don Bluth that we discovered in college on when Secret of I didn't know who Don Bluth was. Remember, it was before internet. Right. Um, and they they showed Secret of Nim, like, oh my God, this film is so beautiful <laughs> who is this guy don bluth you know and so we all signed up to uh to the don bluth fan club they had a newsletter that had a few pages and they would highlight <laughs> artists and and john would have john pomeroy would have the tips of the trades and and it was a very cool little newsletter letter and it, it highlighted you know from doris to vera to lorna to linda to, you know to, and um had and so we all signed up for it and, and uh so found out that they were that they were hiring and i didn't have the money, and my brother, uh, he, he helped me, my older brother, um, I'm the youngest of six, actually, and uh, um, and he 
gave me 300 bucks and I took a flight down to LA for a one hour drawing test for Vera. Vera Lampard. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I, I flew down and uh, I was down in Hollywood Boulevard for a long weekend, three days, and uh, just walked up and down the boulevard because I, you know, I had nothing to do. Took a bus from Hollywood into Van Nuys to Hart Street, where the American Tail, um, where the buildings were, where where they were doing American Tail, and I, I met Vera, and um, she gave me the the test. I still have it. I still have the test that I did for her with her writing on, it. and uh, and uh, and then afterwards, you know. She well, as she saw the test, she asked me, "Would I be okay in moving, relocating?" I went, "Yes," because <laughs> I was, you know, I was coming from Toronto area yeah. to uh, to LA. And I'm like, because they were already thinking, "Well, they're going to move to Ireland, right?" Um, so she was wondering that. And anyways, went back to Toronto, and I, I when I went back, my supervisor that I was in design, and I was doing character model design turnarounds on model sheets and uh-huh. in the design department, and um, and my supervisor, <laughs> Jim Craig, he heard that I had gone to L.A. And so he said he, was, he threatened he was going to move my desk out in the parking lot. He wasn't very happy. <laughs> uh, but I came back and and then I got a call from Vera. Can you start Monday? And this was like, you know, this was the Wednesday before. So I, I called my parents and said, guys, I, I'm going to I'm going to I got, you know, they knew I was going for this offer. But yeah, yeah. And, you know, I give my mom credit. She said, Mark, go experience the world. You got no commitments. Go do it. Yeah. She left, she left when she was 15 to farm in Saskatchewan to join the war effort. My my dad, who had a sign company, um, he he's like, why can't you work in Toronto? Because <laughs> he knows once I leave, you know, you're probably not coming back, right? So I think with a heavy heart, he's like, well, my son's being successful, uh, which means he has to leave, you know? So uh, um, anyways, uh, it's a... Uh, and so I, I went, I flew down and, and my college buddy that I was living with, uh, Dick and Ralph Zondag and their family, um, um, Ralph had already got hired a week before uh-huh. or two weeks before. And so I joined him in the apartment and then we, we found another apartment. And so, yeah, initially it was myself and Ralph um, and then John Hooper, I think. John and and Hooper. then like 10 other Canadians all jammed into one apartment, right? <laughs> well that's sort of our story but not no not really but but there was a point where my <laughs> we had an apartment one block two uh two blocks away from the studio and i had a bedroom ralph had a bedroom and uh and then in the living room was ralph's older brother dick zondag who um was living with us at the time because his wife had did they just for the summer was up in vancouver and, and so he had a bed behind the couch and then Barry Atkinson, who you probably know, uh, yes. background artist, he had the dining room. So he put a curtain up and was sleeping where the table would be. So like it was, you know, we had opened the door and people would look in like, what is going on? Like, you know, these four Canadian guys that are all it saving was, it money. Was a cra- it was a crash pad. It was a bachelor pad, right? It really was. And, and yeah. it was a, it was a, but you know, and, 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 you funny didn't, times. and you didn't really need a car if you were two blocks from the studio. No, and, and I remember Don Bluth, uh, um, you know, Dan Kenster had a 10-speed bike that I think Don bought him, and Dan lent me it, and it was very nice of Dan Kenster. And uh, um, I remember Don saying, you make sure you look after that bike. That was Dan, because I think Don bought it for Dan. Yeah, and, um, yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll say one story really quick with heading back with the, the Don Bluth thing. So I get hired at Don Bluth, and so I'm next thing I know, I'm, I'm in L.A., and, you know, it's crazy because why am I there? Right. And the first week 
they were having a screening of American Tale. The movie was halfway done, and they were having a screening in a theater somewhere, Universal Studios. Or yeah, something. The, a, te- a test screening. That's right. Yeah, and it was, yeah. and and so Vera said because she was my boss, I got hired to do key cleanup, and she was my boss, and she's married to Doris at the time, and they said, hey, and Vera said, hey, well, come with me in our car, and we'll go to the screening, and so I did. Ralph, who I was living, got a ride with somebody else, and um, so we all went to the screening, and then afterwards, Don had rented out a room at a local restaurant, not sure where it was. And it was a private room. And and uh, on the way after the screening, we're sitting there like, you know, and we're like, we're all, we, we're just myself and Ralph are like, still amazed that we're there. And and Don says, well, after the screen, Mark, why don't you come with me? And we're going to go to the restaurant. You and Ralph can come with us. And I said, okay. So I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting in, in that pickup truck, that small pickup truck in the picture, I think of Don Bluth. As his pickup truck, I'm driving along with Don on the way to the restaurant, and I was like, I don't know what's happening, but this just doesn't seem feel right. Like it feels so surreal. Like I'm a college kid. It seemed like just a couple of years ago. Now I'm sitting next to the director of this film that's so amazing, and and they're happy that they got you know that that we're joining them. They were so welcoming, and and uh, and so in that room that you know we're sitting there, and there's Lorna. Um, there's there's Linda, there's um, John Pomeroy. John Pomeroy. I, I don't think Gary Gar- was there. there. Gar- Gary wasn't there. I don't think so. But no, he wasn't. But um, it was. I think twice. It's the only time it really happened in my life where I actually stood there and I, I, I got a little like I didn't know what to say. <laughs> didn't know what to say because I was literally looking at these faces in front of me on the fan letter a few weeks or a few years earlier in college yeah. out, and now we're on their crew and they are and, and you know during the dinner Doris kept cheering the Canadians let's cheer the Canadians and they would kept cheering with their <laughs> drinks and my Ralph myself and Ralph are two little kids who are like looking like what what you know um anyways uh and I'll, I'll tell you how small it was we'd go in on a Saturday and I, I think you were with us day there then I think when you want to well, you know something I I actually worked on Dragon's Lair and Space Ace before okay. they started American Tale, but I wound up doing some freelance uh, effects anime, you know, effects uh, uh, work on American Tale right. um, uh, while it was in production. But I wasn't working there full time. I was working on Black Cauldron over oh, okay. at Disney. Yeah. And, and, and so this this was. Man, it's such a small community, right? Like we're all we're all intertwined somehow. Yeah. Um, it's and so myself and Ralph were in this new apartment, and we. <laughs> oh, there's too many stories, but I won't. Uh, anyways, we're we're we have to go and get a couch, but we have no way of getting it. And Don's like, "So what are you guys doing?" Like, because we were talking to each other in the, in that small little hallway there in the studio, and he's and we're saying we got to get a couch for and a bed. And he says, "Well, let's go. Let's like." So next, you know, Don Bluth is helping us lug couches down our stairs to our apartment <laughs> because we didn't have any way of doing it. And he's like, who who would think that the director <laughs> again, this is how small the studio was There's, and 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 how great it was because it was. But, such but, a, I mean, that, that's also how down to earth everybody is in the business. Totally. Right. Don't you yeah. think? Oh, yeah. You know, exactly. Yeah. And, and and, you know, I have videotape, Dave, and I got I got to I got to get my. Uh, you know, my digital stuff together. And, and I started transferring some stuff, but I had video table walking through the studio back then. And, and, uh, and I, on, you know, one night I'm videotaping the music room where Sue Shakespeare and David Steinberg would 
work and right outside Don Blue's office there. And, uh, and on the wall was all the animators name on American Tale, which included Dick and Ralph Zondag's names. And they were the new animators, the two yeah. guys. That, uh, and there was a total for American Tale, there was a total of 13 animator names to get that movie done. Wow. Isn't that, Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I know. When you think about it, it is kind of crazy. And, and I, I'm going to say, I want to interject here because you yeah. said something. You you have all these videotapes. Please, Mark, please oh, yeah. have this material transferred and create some digital quick time movies. Of yep, it. I, I, it, I really it, will. It, it, I mean, this is historic material. Yeah. And and I always encourage people, if you have that kind of, you know, uh, these old videotapes and stuff, get them transferred now before the tapes deteriorate. Oh, I, I and yeah. I, I, I have hours. I got to tell you, like I got I got us on during the rap party of Milan. Um, on the bus, they took us on a bus to go to Hollywood and the bus driver, <laughs> the drug bus driver went the wrong way. We got stuck at the zoo and, <laughs> and, and, and he was so, he was so pissed and he's, and, and he's, I think he started like giving Vera a hard time and <laughs> it was, I'm filming, <laughs> I'm filming the bus driver getting all mad at us, Disney artists. Because you know we're lost, we're going the wrong way. I, I, I mean that that material is gold. It really yeah. is, and you 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 gotta you gotta really preserve it. You know, oh, yeah. before it's lost. You know. Yeah. And, and listen, you know, you've mentioned Vera a number of times, and, mm -hmm. and you know, for our listeners, uh, Vera Lamfer Pacheco. Yeah. Uh, was a, a, a lead. She was the head cleanup person at, at Bluth. She she headed cleanup units at Disney. Um, and you've brought her up a number of times, and it, and it's very sad that she passed away this past December. And and I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about who Vera was, and uh, and, and all the people that she. Um, you know, really brought into the business. No, Vera, I, you know, I love Vera and, and uh, she was this am amazing woman. And I still, I, I know we talked just briefly before the podcast, but I'm still sort of don't want to accept it, even though um, it's like this, when I got the news from Vera that she was dealing with cancer and it wasn't looking good. And, um, you know, she was saying, keep it quiet, but, but um I, of course, was hoping for the best, but it just it just wasn't getting better. And, and it's just this very surreal, um, you know, thinking about Vera not around because she she was always to me. She's such a big part of of my path in this industry. Um, she hired me to get into Bluth and she was always so supportive. It was crazy. And like I was, you know, the geeky young guy. All I wanted to do was do the very best. I had a, I had my dad, he had his own sign company and it was like, he, there's no doubt. It was all about quality. It's all about quality. And I saw him work like crazy. And, and so, you know, this was part of my mindset. And as most people in animation have that, those wires crossed that way. And Vera, I know she recognized that and so I became key cleanup artist and on that film. And, but she was always so like such a professional because she was always, she was so welcoming and, and, such a great person but then she also was business like she would just go okay now this has to be done and she was super organized and it was all laid out and had to she knew where all the players were in a way and and knew how to motivate them and how to encourage them and how to you know reward them and and and, and how to push them um and you know this was her personality i think i think 
anyone on Vera's crew that worked with her would would agree. Like like um, so missed and such a professional and 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 a, a, one of the the strongest you know women woman I know as far as you know standing up to standing up to where what needs to be standing up at the right time like to stand up for this has to be fixed for the sake of the quality um this has to be let go for the sake of production and time like yeah. it was just you know there's a balancing act uh, and and i just found i learned a lot from her and, and so we're on a i did a i i you know was on american tail key cleanup and then i moved on got you know moved on to be an animator when we moved to ireland i was actually missing the art of anime of cleanup because i really love the picky detail maybe it was all the comic art that i did and the, you know, you know, when I was doing all my comic art when I was a kid, my dad came in with a Pentel pen set one day and and with ink. And I had to go over all my comic art with a perfect line. If I messed up, there was no whiteout. I had to re- redraw the whole page over again. So I learned, and maybe because my dad's a sign painter and I saw that steady hand. Um, and so that the attention to picky detail was was I just love that. And now with animation, you have to know animation and put that line down, feeling the weight, the thick and thin, if it's there. Um, and so Vera, you know, we talked on on Land Before Time when I was an animator and that we were in Ireland. And she let me know that she endorsed her moving on to where you went to Roger Rabbit and on at, over in London. And, and she was going to move and she asked me if I would be interested in taking her position as, as the supervisor of cleanup for the upcoming film, All Dogs Go to Heaven. And I mean, I think I'm 23, 24, I think at the time. And so, um, but she saw, I, I guess, whatever it was and, and saw I ran my, my, my smaller crew. And, um, and so again, here's someone that, I always feel like she's sort of looking out for me. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and, but I, I, feel be, I feel that I, I worked really hard to make the quality always as good as I could. And I think she recognized that. And that's why I was given that opportunity. You know, I think there's a multiple few different reasons, but I think the quality had to be there in the love, you know, that the, it has to look good. And I think she knows that it would be in good hands. And I think she was able to pass it on. And, and, yeah. um, and then, you know, we got separated then over the years. And when I moved back to LA back in 1990, I stayed with Doris and, and, and Vera at their house in Woodland Hills um, until I got my own apartment in Burbank. And then, uh, and then joined Disney and, you know, we came, I mean, people were all busy. Then I was on Hunchback and um, in our lives just sort of got busy. We'd see each other and talk and and, yeah. and sometimes go over to each other's houses on for, for um, Christmas parties and things like that. But, uh, um, but I, I've met her like in Seattle, her and her husband, Jim and, and son, Michael went to Michael's wedding, myself and my son, Matthew. And, and, um, and she was just so proud of Michael um, he's, you know, has a few things happening and he just, he just pushed himself and, and, uh, he's doing well now. And, and, um, and, you know, and Jim, her, her husband was, man, they just, they, they got along. Like she just, he, if you know, Jim, he's a funny guy that, you know, has a very super creative and, and, uh, and she knew how to handle, like, I guess, you know, I, I guess that's Vera. She just could walk in and, and sort of weigh things out and know how to, put a lighter edge to the situation. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I find like, like, like even if there was some issue, which sometimes there is, and there's heated, you know, there can be times of there where people are, are getting heated with, with some conflict. Vera just sort of, and, and I would say it would be like a voice of reason. 
Yeah. Um, anyways, and, and, and so, yeah, I love Vera and, 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 and very sad. Uh, like, I'm just, I just really, um, yeah, I'm just still, but you know, she, she left a, a huge body of work behind. I mean, she worked on a lot of, lot of films, yeah. uh, and really contributed heavily to, to the animation, uh, you know, to, to the, to, not only to the animation business, but really to the renaissance uh, of animation uh, that went on, you know, uh, throughout the 90s. Um, when, when, you, when you first moved over to Ireland, um, w- was it easier for, the, for you because you were a Canadian to move to Ireland because that was all part of, uh, you know, the British Empire, so to speak? Well, it was just a, it was just a, a work sort of the work visa thing that being an employee with Bluth. What, um, was it? But was it a little easier for you because you were a Canadian citizen? Or no, was, I, I, I'm not sure because maybe, but I just know that they looked after all that and said, "All you guys will you'll be moving over with us," and all the paperwork was was taken care of. Um, so you know, probably went through. But because we were going into Ireland for ideally ten years, and you know. Now, of course, you know, we had a little bit, well, we had a better deal coming over to Ireland as far as yeah. we had the per diem and things like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, but what, a, you know, what a, it's funny, a chain reaction, right? Because I remember listening, I, I talk with Gary every now and then. Gary's my my son's great uncle, um, Gary Goldman. And uh, uh-huh. um, I know they had offers, you know, to Canada was one of them, actually, but I think it was Australia. There's a few places there where blues may have gone but more Sullivan being the investor you know in being Irish uh, that, that's the way it went yeah yeah I you know I I worked with you briefly uh I I was on uh, land before time in Dublin um and I you know I look back on it as just the big adventure you know, yeah. it was it was great experience going over there. I I was glad I just did land before time and then moved to London. Though I have yeah. to tell you, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to, do, to do framed Roger Rabbit, right, right, yeah, you that know? that was that was a you know a damn nice little jump over to the water there, the pond or whatever yeah. the, the water. But um, but you but you you stayed you stayed in Ireland. You did all dogs go to heaven and rock a doodle in uh, or I did, did yeah I did and then, well, and you that. did that in Ireland right. Yeah, I, I went back after after all dogs go to heaven. Um, I actually I was I was you know head of cleanup. It was interesting for me. I was in the meetings every week in production with Don Bluth and all the supervising, all the heads of departments yeah. around the big table on the sixth floor. And and you know when numbers weren't there, you know Don would why when, I remember him once saying when Veer was here, you know that didn't happen. And and um, oh boy, and don't I went. You, don't you hate that? Yes, but well, I had an answer, and my my brother gave me good advice um, before I took the job. He said, "Mark, just whenever something happens during the week that slows production down, please take note of it because you'll probably have to answer that question in a production meeting." And so I did, and I had an answer. Um, we North Americans were given a per diem to come over originally, the first group, and the Irish um, were just making their Irish wages, which was definitely a lot less. But we we're training them, et cetera. But some of the best cleanup artists I had on the crew were Irish yeah. and they were the fastest and they were producing the most. And so it caused a ripple of after Vera had the first year, which was the honeymoon period, and then Vera yeah. left. Um, and then I I got <laughs> the second sort of the after the honeymoon period was over, I got 
the employees going, wait a minute, because they're looking at some North Americans only producing the half the, the amount of drawings and getting paid twice as much. So it didn't seem right. So I, I went to John Palmer and, and Gary Goldman, and, and we figured out a drawing plan where the, the more it's a drawing count, the more you're expected to do so much on a type of scene, I would have to label the scenes A, B, or C, or how difficult they were. And then if you did more drawings, you would get so much money per drawing. Extra. So, so if you were an Irish person artist and you were just productive and, and producing more, there was an extra bonus of you could get paid extra. And it's, you know, yeah. so it seemed fair. Did but it this work? Is, did it work? It, it worked. It worked. But th there was some growing pains. I remember one artist that was, <clears throat> I won't say who, but uh, was on the John Pomeroy crew, which is the Anne-Marie character on All Dogs Go to Heaven. They were getting, uh, they were on, it was sort of a prestigious thing to be on John Pomeroy's cleanup crew because, you know, well, the thing with John Pomeroy's cleanup crew is that you have to have a nice line, but John draws so beautiful. You guys know John Pomeroy and, and how well he draws. So it's pretty easy to do John Pomeroy cleanup because there's no off model anything. Yeah. You just, you just have to draw it on. And, and it's, um, it's a different type of style. You know, Glenn Keane is more sketchy. Yeah, Glenn's and, using like a 4B pencil and yeah, uh, and Bill and, Berg and, and really scribbling. And I have to say, Bill Berg, who was his, <laughs> you know, who was Glenn Keane's uh, key key cleanup uh, yep. uh, guy. Uh, I mean, you got to give you got to give Bill a lot of credit for finding the line that <laughs> needed to stay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so and so, you know, with much respect. I mean, because. I always love drawing, you know, cleaning up John's work or Linda Miller's or because they're, they're draw drawing is so beautiful. And it's just, it just, you know, so anyways, the growing pain was that one of these cleanup artists that was on this sort of prestigious team had to clean up a scene of, of it wasn't John Palmer scene. It was off model. And they, they, <laughs> they got it all done in a few days and made a lot of money because they went beyond and I got a call from I got a call from Gary to get up in his office Monday morning. He was pissed <laughs> because this person, the drawings were so off model and so bad. They have to be all redone. And and of course, Gary's like, they made that much money and this all, <laughs> you know, it's like, it was like, oh boy. So um, you're sort of a, to be a good cleanup artist, it's a combination of many things. And, and you gotta, it's not just the line. It's, it's also knowing what's on model what's meant to be stretched and squashed and off yeah, model sure. and, and, and so anyways it was a um yeah that was a little bit of that story there with the, now, now did you did you move back to los angeles and still work for bluth at the la unit that yeah, they had was, set up it was it was on west olive right by yeah. you know near near where the if you guys are in burbank and they might have closed it by the fries electronics um west olive there and uh um <clears throat> And it, yeah, I moved back and I think I started January 1990. Um, and it was just John and Linda was there and Lorna was there. And there's a few other, you know, Ken and, Duncan and you guys was there. Were, so. you, you guys were doing what, a Thumbelina? Or? No, it was uh, it was a troll in Central Park. Oh, troll in Central Park. Okay. Yeah. 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 And um, and so as, as, as things happened, Gary, I mean, uh, Don and John, weren't quite seen eye to eye at that stage. And the, 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 the studio had, you know, sort of a rough time in the studio. Um, and anyways, it, it was, I, I ended up leaving um, and went to work for Skip Jones, who was my supervisor animator on Lammy for Time. 
Yeah. Um, and worked on a, a project. And then we formed a company with Linda Miller. And um, and anyways, I made I was in a small company. I was doing freelance for not freelance. I was work. We were subcontractors for the pay for Page Master, which is Turner Entertainment. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And and uh, down off, uh, I think it's Lancashire. I can't remember. And um and anyways, I was told by friends that were at Disney Feature, like um like Ken Duncan and uh, Reg Bordage, like don't do don't ever do the test that Disney had because they don't hire animators from doing this animation test, and it's like sort of like you got to get in a different way. And anyway, so I had Dave Getz, you know, Dave Getz. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dave Getz, the art director. Yeah. He was, he was living in Santa Monica and myself and my boy's mom, um, Shannon, she unfortunately passed away. But when we were living together in, um, in Santa Monica in this apartment and Dave said, just do the test. And, and, and so I, I went on a holiday for two weeks <laughs> and my holiday was to do this, this test. So I, I walked, I walked into the warehouse on, um, in Glendale on the, you know, where they were doing Pocahontas near DreamWorks. Area. Yeah. Yeah. On flower street, flower street. And I walked in, it was a Friday afternoon. I, I, the reception was there behind the counter said, and I said, hello, can I, can I get the test to be an anime <laughs> animator? And she handed me as one piece of paper and on it was um, four drawings, Alice in Wonderland sitting at a table, pouring some tea, going to sip the tea. And then there's a reaction. And they said, and she said, the receptionist said, bring it, your animation test back in two weeks. And so off I went and uh, I was on vacation now. And I did, I thought I would do this funny test of having the face hugger from aliens coming, jump out of the pot, grab the house. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so it was Wednesday night and I phoned my Kent, my, my good friend, Ken Duncan and his wife, Juliet, they're living in um, Simi Valley. That's where they are at their house. I think it was. And, um, and I said, can I show you my idea where I'm at with this test? I got a week and a half to go. And I went out there, it was that evening. And he, he looked at the test and thankfully, I always thank Ken, like, thank you for guiding me a little bit. Cause he said, Mark, you gotta know the studio is, you gotta make it a little more charming than something so violent. Yeah, yeah. So I went, oh my God, that makes sense. Thank you. So I went back and uh, I started over again. I could use some keys, but um, I made the Cheshire cap come out and, and, uh, and, catch the little cup as it flies through the air and I, I watched Alice in Wonderland I saw her little mannerisms I made Alice react like Alice a little more dainty yeah, yeah. let's say not not that you do a Tex Avery take or anything it was very more Alice like and uh gave it sent it back in and uh Dave showed it to Roy Conley who was the producer of Hunchback and then I got a call and it was like when can you start and uh um I was like, oh my God, this is so great. Right. And so, and, and, and so you, you started on Hercules uh, doing uh, Meg. Well, no, I started. Oh, no, no, on, I'm sorry. You started doing Esmeralda yeah, on Hunchback. That's right. right yeah. And I'm I got getting hired. ahead of myself, Mark. I'm getting and ahead of myself. No worries. And I, I, I got hired. It was in Glendale a year before. So it was January 17th, 1994. If you know that date, it's the date of the Northridge earthquake. We woke up at four, three something or four in the morning. Um, we're in Santa Monica, so everything went flying on the floor in our kitchen and stuff. And it was pretty violent in, in Santa Monica. And that day I was starting Disney feature and my late wife, she was starting uh, um, Shannon. She was starting Disney television in the editing department. Oh, so gosh. it was such a funny day to start Disney. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. And then after, you know, as I started, I was in that warehouse um, and at the bottom floor of, of Hunchback, there was just some um, 
you know, some areas where desks were, and it's a big open area. And I'm in a little kitchenette with John Sanford, who ended up being my director on Home on the Range. Right? Yeah, he's a story yeah. man. He's a story yeah. person. Story. And, 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 isn't he another Canadian? No, no. I, no, he's I, not? I, no, I don't think so. And um, well, wait, we'll make him, he, he an, went, we'll make him an honorary Canadian. He, he's in Cal, <laughs> he's in the Kellars group with uh, Chris Sanders and you know, yes, that's right, all, yes. all those buddies. So yeah, um, so I'm standing there in that kitchenette, and this is the first week, and I'm talking to John, and uh, all of a sudden there's an aftershock, and we look across this wide open area to the doors, and but the whole door in that bottom part was all glass, it was all glass. Oh, so we're like. Geez. Do we run to the glass doors to get out, or do we? And yeah, I, I know I did the same thing. I just I, we just stood there, and, and then it calmed down. But it was that was the introduction. That first week was a um, it was a, a funny time. Totally crazy. Yeah, but you, crew. You, so you you started on Hunchback, and you had a really good run because you did Hercules, Mulan, Tarzan. You yeah, there was a girl. Up. There was a girl theme too. It was my college film with. Dick and Ralph Zondag were, I had the girl, I actually just took the, the anime. I just found it. I, I took it in to show some students. They want to see my college work. And I had the, <laughs> the, fe- the female princess had to trip the night that was trying to save her. Cause she was actually in cahoots with the dragon. And anyways, that was our, our story. And I was always, I was always fascinated with the subtleties or the, the little nuances of, you know, with the female and the dresses and the hair and all the yeah. little, the, I, I love that overlapping stuff. So Anyways, as it turned out, I, I was um, originally on Frollo, then got put on to um, with Esmeralda with uh, um, Tony Fuccelli. And then and then the next film was Meg with yeah. my friend Ken Duncan, who supervised. And um, and uh, I learned a lot of an- about animation with uh, with Ken. I mean, over the years from college to uh, um, just well, I Ken, think with- Ken is Ken is such a great animator. Oh yeah, he's he's one of the best, and yeah. and you know he's always very serious. And I mean, look, he, he, he's a serious guy, but he's also you get to know him. He can joke like crazy too. But but with animation, I just I think the biggest thing I tell my students that is like I learned from Ken was to stop moving the character so much. It's like when the character stops moving, that's when you can see the character thinking. Yeah, and um, because we we tend to as young animators tend to want to keep moving the character, um, and so anyways, and then after it was funny because I, I, I'm, I'm finishing Meg and uh, and of course, all around my room, I had that room at Disney. Right. And, and we're now in the new the hat building. And there's all this beautiful Paul Felix artwork of Tarzan on the walls. This all, you know, they for people listening that the building is set up with the second floor where there's two pods and there was <clears throat> Hercules was being done. Everything looked like Hercules land over there, like with columns and. And then Greek, and then the other on the other side it was Tarzan. So there's vines and all kinds of Tarzan stuff, and the hallways are all there's all this artwork up to you know, and it's it's, it's great because it just you're in Disney Studios. There should be yeah. artwork, and and so I'm going. I want to work on Tarzan because Glenn had done a test with this amazing test skating through the trees with the CG guys and yeah, the, and, the uh, sur- surfing surfing yeah. through through the the trees, yeah. And it just and you know everyone wants to work on Tarzan, of course, and now. And they called me up and they, or the person, I forget who it was. It might've been Rebecca Huntley or something, production manager. And then came in and said, uh, they've cast you to Milan. And I'm like, what is Milan? And what? I don't want to work in Milan. Like that's in Florida. <laughs> and I don't even know what it is. And they said, no, no, give it a good try. I don't want to work. 
Milan. And it's like, and, and, it's and like so oh, they, they had a unit in California, right? It they was, did. And I was yeah. like the most spoiled, you know, rotten animator. I don't you know, do a little temper tantrum. I don't want to work on Milan. I want to work on cars. <laughs> and so, uh, and, and so they're telling me, Mark, just give it a, give it a, you know, go and you'll, you'll really like it. So anyways, I, another animator, as I'm pouting said, Oh, just, you know, their experience, like, like, anyways, I'll just, I'll leave that story. But he said, I, so I went to, I went to Florida with, I think there was 12 of us that were cast in Milan that would fly out to Florida, meet our supervisors. I always got, I got cast up with Mark Hen because, and he was animating Milan, the main right. character. So yeah. this is my third female character. Now I'm animating, which I love. And, and I, I, I went to meet Mark and he, <laughs> And uh, we we're this is before they made the building, the animation building in Florida. This is where the little, the little, um, the trailers, port, the trailers. Yeah. And so I'm in a trailer, and and hey, and I go see meet Mark. And he goes, hey Mark, and I go, hi Mark. And he goes, well, <laughs> well, he goes, well, you should, yeah, hi, well, you should know what you're what you're doing. So when you have something to show me, just let me look at it, let me know, yeah. and I'll look. And I said, okay. And I went back to my seat, and it was funny because literally every. I would say 45 seconds to a minute, I would hear all this screaming, like, ah! and then it would stop. And, I'm, and I realized the Hollywood Tower of Terror was, yes, was, was right outside. Of, I, there, there was, I was in those trailers for six weeks uh, working on The Lion King. <laughs> so you know what I, I went mean, down right? to Florida for six weeks. And yeah, it, it, the trailers were just like an earshot of the Tower of Terror. <laughs> at the Hollywood studios down yeah. there. And yeah, you would hear the, the car drop and you'd hear this burst of, ah! <laughs> you, could, you could time and, your and lunch after a while. It just became sort of white noise. Like it, you were living in a city, you know, yeah, and, yeah. You, know <laughs> you sort of filter out the sirens and the screaming and the gunshots and everything. I, say, <laughs> I don't know what city you're talking about. David. It's really <laughs> well, Definitely not North Van where I'm living now. It's a little quieter than that. But um, um, anyway, so um, well, Mark, I, I I went and worked on Milan and, and went back to LA, worked with Mark Cannon, and and by the end, just to wrap up the story, is that we finished Milan, and then I was able to work on Tarzan, helping out Bruce Smith. We had I think three months of crunch time on Tarzan, so I got to work on Tarzan, which I was very happy for because it was it's a beautiful film too. So yeah, yeah. Um, and Milan ended up being my favorite feature. Like I, I got to say, it's such a beautiful film, and I loved her characters. And and I got to say, working with Mark Ken, as much as I've been really fortunate, I've worked, worked with from Tony to Ken Duncan to Nick Ranieri to um, like all you know Eric Goldberg, uh, all these supervising animators and yeah. directors. Um, Mark Ken was my, I, I got to say, my favorite because he he has such a charm with his animation. And what he did, he's like, hey Mark, you come to the table with your idea as an animator, because he learned off of Eric Larson and Eric Larson would say, Hey, Mark, come to the table. Eric Larson didn't want to tell Mark Ken what to do. He wanted Mark to figure it out and show him. Right. And that's how Mark, that's how Mark worked with his crew. And, and, I, and Mark, and Mark is you know, Mark Hen is just such a nice guy. Oh, he's, he's I, one I of mean, the nicest. He, he, he's yeah. just such a gentleman and, and, and just very sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, reserved really, you know, yeah. I mean, he's, he, he, he's a soft spoken guy. Well, in animation, you know, as I say, you can be super quiet and shy, but you can, you can be speaking volumes with your artwork. And Mark yes. is, is one of these guys that it's just, his work is just outstanding. And so I think, 
I think the word for me would be appealing. He just had yeah. such an appealing sense of timing and performance as an yes. actor. Yeah. And then, and then timing. He reminds me of like is him and James Baxter are similar as far as timing. I think they come up, yes, there's key poses, but then they go ahead straight ahead and make the timing feel right. And it's not, it's so much less technical and more with the feel of weight going through space. And, and, yeah. and I, I just, when I, when I think of Mark's work and I think of James and I, I, I think they're similar in that way. They're, they just have this unique sense of believable, natural timing based on very likable performances. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, clearly, you, you've had this amazing run through all of these pictures with Don Bluth Studios and Nalvana and, you know, Disney and everything. Now you're back up in Canada. You're in Vancouver and you're a professor. And, well, and I want to I want to just ask you all of those experiences you had in the industry are you now are you imparting those onto students uh oh very much you know my title isn't it's i mean yes i'm an instructor i'm the senior instructor at vancouver film school and they asked me to the the person that was heading up or, or the senior instructor was retiring um dieter mueller and 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 so i was brought in and rechanged the course um it's a it's a quick one-year course um, where the students do their own short film and they narrowed it down where they, the the maximum of film could be two minutes long. That's with credits and, and title. Um, looking to have about 45 seconds of character animation overall in that amount of time um, for their film. So they can concentrate on quality. And so sort of redid the year. And there's a lot to get distracted with and what to teach at the right time. So we're pretty proud right now. It's turning, it's, it's working out well. The films that students, you know, at the end of the year when the students are tired in a good way because they've worked really hard. Sure. And and I, again, this circles all the way to the very beginning when we're talking about college and the bond of, of being in a group. And I see that with these groups of students that come. They're so bonded. And it just, it, I got to say, it makes me feel really happy because I know I, I know that world and yeah. I really wouldn't change anything. Like I, I think this industry, even though it has tough moments and decisions and there's some moments that could be not fair and, but what a, what a great way to, to have a living. Um, yeah. You know, being, being around artists that are pushing for, for quality and, and good storytelling and all that. What's the name of the uh, school that you're teaching at and how many students come in uh, for this one year program? It's a, it's, the school is Vancouver Film School. Okay. Um, short, it's VFS, but it's Vancouver Film School. And we have, um, we have basically three intakes a year, um, which is maximum 26 students each intake. But this year we just intake the fourth intake um, because during COVID, so many students stayed back. They wanted to wait till they could be in person. Sure. So when they were told they, we have we have a we have a, a like a, a a wait list, and they would have to wait a year before they could start. They were well, they were already waiting to start. Now they want to get going. So, um, so we made the 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 school made the choice. They made the decision to have them start instead of every four months. Is there? It was two months. So we have another we have another group starting on Monday, um, and that way the students don't have to wait a whole year. Um, and we've, uh, you know, we will deal with it. And uh, 
Um, and we are. And, and and so this is a one year intensive. It really is. Yeah. yeah. And, and so where are these students coming from? Are they coming from high school or are they coming from other art schools or what's They're, happening? It, it, it all the it all depends. Um, the majority are, I would say, I would say the average age is someone that's been out of high school and maybe worked for a few years. Like I would say early 20s seems to be like 21, 22 is seems to be the average age because it, it's a it's a big commitment. It's yeah. it's a lot of money and um, and in some ways it's probably. I mean, we do have high school students that start as well. We just there's like a group called from Sizzler, which is a a school in in Edmonton, and we have 15 students that are starting <laughs> all together come Monday. They're coming as a group. And that's it's like, that's uh, pretty awesome, though. You know, yeah, they, and, they, they obviously bonded. Uh, what'd you call the school? It, it's Sizzler. Yeah, uh, it's, it's that's a school up in Edmonton. It's called and Sizzler. I think so. Yeah, it's not the steakhouse. No, no, it's a Sizzler. <laughs> I think it's not Z's. I think it's S. Okay. <laughs> so, but it, you know, th- what what is I'm what we are finding is that. What I found a few years ago that some I had some students before in the past. I've been teaching full time now since 2010, January, and I was at a different school. And then some students would come that like I had one student that came into classical animation and she really didn't like to draw. And I'm like, okay, um, <clears throat> now this was a drawing course, yeah, um, but they paid money, um, so the school, you know, they they had a seat. What I find the students that we're getting now uh, with with what I'm the classes we're getting, they're so focused and wanting to do good animation. Like it's I think I think with the Internet and seeing what it's about before they come in. And um, it's like the the quality of student has only gotten better because I think they're learning animation um, before they join us. Like as far as they're learning what it's about and even experimenting with the software and you know. there, there, there's so many resources now, yeah. you know, you got the great Richard Williams, you know, he did that whole video tutorial yeah, series yeah. and, you know, there, there's so much information online for people to, to access. Um, it, it's just really pretty amazing. And there's, there's no shortage of books on animation. Right. And, 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 and I, I, I thought of doing a book cause I do all these drawing notes over it for like students drawings before, and then with notes after yeah and make it for like a before and after thing. But um, it's a thought in my head. But the one thing that I was going to say that um, for Ijon, Eljon is uh, um, one of the assignments that I have is storyboarding during the storyboarding part of the um, the year is uh, I have them do an assignment where they have to pick uh, a piece of music that's already made for them. And they have to storyboard using the beats of the music for editing or character poses, action or timing. And they can come up with any idea. And they're anywhere from... 10 seconds to 30 seconds long. So this is that one assignment, but it's pretty cool because they discovered the great marriage there is with music and, and, yeah. and how it works so well with the visual animation as far as the story and how much it pluses it. It's like adding lighting to the animation, you know? So it, they, they, it's, it's great to see their eyes open up and they really have a, a fun time with that assignment because they use it then to sort of bounce into their senior film. They go, I'm going to use music. So, yeah. That's great. Well, Mark, I have to say we're bumping up against time here. Yeah, uh, it, it was just an absolute pleasure having you on the Skull Rock podcast. And uh, I'm hopeful that we're going to have you back in the future. Yeah, there, there, anytime. And uh, I, you know, again, I really appreciate 
um, touching base and saying, "Hey, you want to you want to have a chat?" And you know, I, I you know I love the industry. It's 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 an amazing group of people. Um, there's such more for me. There's such more like like positive stories than negatives. And, oh, absolutely. And, uh, and, absolutely. And, and and I mean, I'm and and again, the bond with artists. Like it's like we all sort of get it. We may not be best friends, but we there's a respect there in this industry. Yes. And uh, and I'm a little I'm a little saddened by how the 3D has like the art side of it has sort of become a little more generic, even though it's not as as far as acting. Yeah. But with but you know some of the stuff should be celebrated and, and pushed out and not to make to just seem like a technical like anyone can do it because not everybody can do it. That's that's right. And 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 you know I just. Um, so you know, looking forward to the the future, and and uh, and you know, we have we have no loss of students wanting to learn classical animation. We teach four months of hand drawn animation on paper before they learn digital. So, um, and and they love it the way it should be. Mark Pudliner, thank you so much. All right, thank you. Guys. Your attention, please. <laughs> now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. What an awesome, awesome guy. He's really a terrific guy. And, you know, again, just a a veteran of the animation business and, you know, has worked on so many great films and had so many great stories to tell. I mean, it was really terrific. He's somebody we have to get back again on the show. Oh, absolutely. Can't wait to hear more stories about uh, working at Don Bluth and at Disney, all the great stuff and projects you've worked on. Um, and I'm looking for our uh, looking forward to our next shows, which is great because if you love Disney and pop culture, you want to make sure you subscribe to our show. If you just happen to uh, you know fall upon this podcast, good. I'm so happy you made it to the end. But be sure to like, share, and subscribe to the show. Click the bell for notifications every time we drop new content on our social media platforms: Facebook, Twitter. Instagram. You can also check out our vault of shows there at skullrockpodcast.com. Dave, cat got my tongue. And uh, send us those emails as well, Dave or Al John at uh, skullrockpodcast.com. Dave, you've got the final word. Well, as always, peace and love to everybody. Go out, have a fantastic week, and we will look forward to seeing you here on the Skull Rock Podcast next week.